right, Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, Altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled. So Jacob said to his household and to all Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress that has and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakoth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath-Arbah, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray for us. 
Jesus, your, your name is wonderful. There is no one like you. And your worth exceeds what our songs can contain. Your worth exceeds my ability to preach. Your worth exceeds words. And so we pause now to ask you by the power of your spirit to take the preaching of your word and to make it somehow rise to the level of your worth today. We want to value you for how much you're worth. And so increase our hearts, enlarge our hearts, expand our hearts that we would see Jesus in a deep and wonderful way this morning. We need you, Spirit, here, lest this just be a mere exercise of words leaving my lips. And so, Spirit, come, I pray. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room. Meet them, God, wherever they are this morning in their journey with you. Meet them and speak to them and build their faith. Help us, God, to believe your word this morning and to love your word this morning and then to apply it to our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are times where we find ourselves in need of spiritual renewal. Times where we just feel like God's distant, he's far away. Almost like we're trying to find a, a moving object. And sometimes this is due to circumstances in life. We talk about that a lot as a church because it's a lot in God's word. We read it often where there's suffering, there's trial, there's things that happen in our lives that just make it hard to get a hold of God and he seems further away. And there's other times where we're in need of spiritual renewal from our own doing. We drift from God. We rebel against God. We run from God. Sometimes we just neglect our walk with God. Sometimes our nibbling on sin turns into snacking, which evolves into a buffet of a variety of different types of sins. Sometimes those sins are obvious. We know I shouldn't be doing this. Or we know I should be doing this, and we're not. Other times, we need spiritual renewal because we don't know our sin. We just don't see it. We don't recognize it for what it is. Sin is deceitful after all. It sneaks in on us. And at times, we can just misuse our time. Hours sucked into doing all kinds of different things that lead us to just having a dry or hard heart. And before we know it, we end up living indifferent or just feeling indifferent about God and the gospel. Our desires that we once had to know God and love God and live for God become a distant memory. And at times we can be aware of that. You know your own heart. You're like, I need revival. I need to be revived right now. But other times sin lulls us away to sleep in such a way that we're not even aware of it. We don't even recognize it. Maybe people around us recognize it, but we don't recognize our own need to be revived. Well, Genesis chapter 34 shows us, if you remember from last week, that Jacob was in desperate need of some serious spiritual revival. Right, you remember last week? I mean, Jacob is in a bad way, and he seems to be blind to it, and it's a result of his own choices. 
which in light of chapters 32 and 33 should be a little bit shocking to us. Because in chapters 32 and 33, we see Jacob doing all the things that he should be doing in his pursuit of God. Right? We see him on his face before God, asking God to protect him from Esau, acknowledging God as the one who loves him and has provided for him and has been faithful to him. I mean, Jacob is doing all the things that God would want him to do, and then suddenly we get to chapter 33, and God's gone. God's out of the picture. I mean, if anything stands out from chapter 34, it's that there's no mention of God at all in the entire chapter, which represents probably about 10 years of Jacob's life. So Jacob, in his sinful thinking, his sinful distraction, his sinful behavior, finds himself in a bad place. And it's tragic. But it's also a warning, I think. I think it's a warning to us. I think whenever we look at somebody messing up their life in Scripture, we see the result of sin and what it does. It's a warning to us to go, that could be me. I could be there. I could end up there. And I think that's what last week's sermon was all about. And then this morning we come to chapter 35, which I would like to call God's spiritual renewal for Jacob. God wants to spiritually revive Jacob back to where he was and even push him further forward in his journey with himself. I mean, this contrast between chapters 34 and 35 is drastic. It's radical. In fact, all you have to do is look at the last word of chapter 34 and the first word of chapter 35, and you get the picture. Last word of chapter 34? Prostitute. First word of chapter 35? God, right? The chapter ends with how, how can you treat our sister? How can, we, how can she be treated like a prostitute? A whole godless 10 years, and then we get to chapter 35, and it begins with God. I mean, it's meant to grab the reader's attention. Oh, yeah, that's who was missing from chapter 34 and those 10 years of his life. And so I think Moses intentionally crafts this chapter so that our hearts will soar to see what renewal looks like in the life of Jacob, and so that we can join him in that. I know some of you in here, I don't know all of you, and I don't know all of you very well, but I wonder how many of us this morning would say, I need some spiritual renewal. I just need to be renewed. My soul just needs to be renewed. Well, we're going to look at I had eight. I think we're only going to go through six of them this morning. Six ingredients, if you will. Six things about renewal. And we're going to talk about those this morning. Now, I'm using the word renewal intentionally because I don't think God tells Jacob anything necessarily new. He's just renewing him to the stuff he's already heard. Whether it's new or not for us, the question is, is it gripping your heart? <laughs> is your heart on fire for these six things? Are you alive to these six things? And if not, then this morning is for you, especially, as I think this is the way for us to revive ourselves, to renew ourselves, to renew our zeal for God. So six things about renewal. The first one is blatant. Any one of you would say it. 
But renewal is first and foremost about God. It's about God. It's not about being morally better. It's not about bettering yourself. It's about God. Eleven times in this chapter, and they're all packed in the first half of the chapter, we see the word God. I don't know if you caught it when Renee was reading it. This is, the, this is the thing that stinks about only reading one chapter at a time. Because if we, were, if we could just pick up where Tyler left off last week and jump right into chapter 35, you would go, whoa, look at that. God, 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 God. Because it's 11 times. Nowhere in 34, everywhere in chapter 35. So look at them with me. Circle them. Underline them. Verse 1, God said. Verse 1, God who appeared. Verse 3, God who answers. Verse 5, terror from God fell. Verse 7, God had revealed himself. Verse 9, God appeared to Jacob. Verse 10, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 11, I am almighty God. Verse 15, God had spoken. I think God wants to make sure that we know that if you need to be revived, it needs to start with God. And so he repeats this over and over again. A renewed life is a God-saturated life. And so it's almost like Moses is looking for excuses to pen the word God as often as he can to get it in ink on the paper for us so that we'll see God, we'll recognize God, we'll remember, we'll be revived to the reality that God is real. God's alive. God is active. And so Moses lets the name of God flow over and over again in this first section of chapter 35. I don't know about you, does the name of God, the name of Jesus, flow out of your mouth over and over again? Do you see ways that he's speaking and working and so you're, you're talking about him? It seems that there's a, a way that to be renewed, it begins with somehow reminding your soul that God is alive and at work in your world. I think renewal can be about God just being on the lips of his people and that that alone can bring spiritual renewal. The second thing I see here, I think renewal is about God's pursuit of you. Renewal is about God's pursuit of you. I want you to look at how God pursues Jacob. I mean, that's something we can just overlook so easily in this chapter. But it begins with God taking the initiative after 10 years of what it seems like was silence. It seems like Jacob wasn't doing anything to pursue God. God's waiting, wondering what's going on. And then in verse 1 it says, God said. God spoke. God took the initiative. In verse 9, the same thing's going to happen. God is going to appear. God is going to speak again to Jacob. No mention prior to this of Jacob inquiring of God. No mention of Jacob seeking God. In fact, Jacob's last words in chapter 34 are worthy of a punch in the throat. That's what I'd like to give him. And yet God turns around in the beginning of chapter 35 and he speaks to God. He appears to God. He talks to God. Now, if I'm God, here's how chapter 35 reads at the end of chapter 34's experiences. Chapter 35 begins with God, it does, but it says God 
crushed Jacob. It should read, and the earth opened up and swallowed Jacob. So God abandoned Jacob to his sin. God left Jacob to suffer the consequences of 10 years of rebellion. That's the only way I read God in this chapter, if I'm God, which we're all glad that I'm not. After 10 years of living in the land outside of God's will, God still pursues Jacob. And there's some good news. Ten years, and God still pursues Jacob. Listen, even as you and or I drift from God, whether we find ourselves in need of spiritual renewal from our own doing or from circumstances, God still pursues you. He pursues you. Renewal is about God and God in pursuit of you. Fresh example of that, you're in this room this morning or listening, live stream people. Do you think you were able to get up this morning on your own volition? Do you think you had a desire this morning to get up on a day when you could have slept in, got ready, and came here because you're a good person? The only reason you're here and I'm here is proof that God is pursuing you, (laughs) that God's at work, that God is continuing to draw you to be a part of God's people, to hear God's word, to be encouraged, to encourage one another, to sing to him. It's God. He's at work. So right now you should find fresh faith, almost renewal in your own soul, knowing, wow, God got me here today. (laughs) He's pursuing me. He's on the hunt. And how easy it is to make a connection to the gospel, right? I mean, who took the initiative there? We weren't asking for God to figure out a way to save us. We weren't begging God, please make a way. God took the initiative. All God. Christmas is all God's idea to send Christ. Easter is all God's idea for Jesus to die and resurrect on our behalf. It's his initiative his initiative. And this morning, we, whether we realize it or not, are on the receiving end of his active work in our lives. We are on the receiving end of him pursuing us this morning. And so God pursues Jacob. And then the third thing here, God speaks to Jacob. When God shows up to Jacob, God has some things to say to Jacob. My punishment to Elzebeth when I'm angry is to not talk to her. It's the cold shoulder. You can ask her. It's the, I'm going to ignore you. And if I'm God, this is the chance to do that. And what does God do instead? He speaks. He speaks. He goes and he speaks to Jacob. Verse 1 tells us what he says. Doesn't correct him. Doesn't slap him down. Arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You see what God's doing? Yeah, he's reminding him. He's renewing him. He's renewing Jacob by reminding Jacob of his previous experiences of God's presence and God's protection. 
That's a part of renewal. You want to be renewed? Remind yourself of God's presence in the past and his protection in the past. He reminds him of his past, and then he gives him direction for his future. That's what God does. That's what he speaks to Jacob. God wants Jacob to know what his plan is for Jacob's life. So he tells Jacob where to go, and he tells Jacob what to do. Now, wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us today? Wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us today and told us what his promises are and what to do? Oh, looky there, he does. Surprise, surprise. I don't like the word Bible. Didn't I just say that? (laughs) When I hear the word Bible, for me, I think just book. This is God's heart. And this is God's mind. And and this this is not God, but this is God's heart to us. And so God does speak to us through his word and through his spirit. And we have full access to his word 24 hours a day, seven days a week. (laughs) Nothing can stop us from access to God's word. We have the spirit of God dwelling in us. I mean, you just take a couple minutes, just try to wrap your brain around that. God himself, if you've been born again, literally indwells you. The Spirit of God is in there. Hello in there. He's in there. He's in there. He he is alive in you. And when you seek to be filled with the Spirit afresh and enter into His words, you find renewal for your soul. Now, I'm not, I don't want to paint like, I don't know, sunshine and lollipops to us. Because I know there's times where it's hard. I know there's times where I seek the Spirit, I open the Word, and I want to be renewed, and it's harder at times for reasons I don't always know. So don't beat yourself up if you're like, oh, it's not always my experience. Like, okay, it's not always mine either. But we have access to know what God wants for us. And we have access to God's promises, and they're right here for us anytime we want them. We can hear from God anytime. And so I think renewal really for us is about taking advantage of our full access pass that we have to all of God's words anytime, anywhere that we find the need for our souls to be renewed. Four, renewal really is about God's promises. We've talked about this a lot in Genesis because there's a lot in here about God's covenant promises to Jacob. But look at verse 9. I mean, verse 9 is God basically repeating the same promise back to Jacob. I should have done my homework. I didn't. I don't know how many times he's already repeated this to Jacob, but it's been a bunch of times. And he has said the same thing to Abraham, and he has said the same thing to Isaac. That's why he says, this is the same promise that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and now I'm giving it to you. I love it that God loves to repeat his promises. It's almost as if he thinks we might need to hear them more than once. It might be like he thinks we're a little slow on the uptake. And so he repeats it. I mean, this is patience. Don't you think? If you have kids, or you've ever had to repeat yourself to someone, like, let me say it again. I mean, 
I have to say it a second time, you lose patience sometimes. Like, I can't believe I have to repeat myself. Look, you want to image God? Be patient with people when you have to repeat yourself. <laughs> that's what he does. He's patient. And he's not shying away from repeating himself again to Jacob to remind him of the promises that he has made to him. And this, once again, is remarkable because if there was ever a time for God to withdraw his promises, this would be the time. Jacob 2.0 is out there somewhere. I'll find him. God so easily could have said to Jacob, listen, Jacob, I'm going to treat you the way you treated Dinah. You ignored her, you didn't protect her, so I'm not going to protect you anymore. All of you, you know what? I'm going to think about you the way you think about me the past 10 years. You haven't thought about me at all, so I'm not going to think about you anymore. You could have said, look, Jacob, you want to live in that land without me? Fine, live in that land without me. See you later. But no, God instead doesn't do that. I mean, chapter 34, if that's a sampling of how Jacob lived his past 10 years, then why on earth did God keep his promises to Jacob? Because God, he doesn't play by our rules. His rules of engagement with us is upside down from our rules of engagement. It's because God, he plays by grace. God plays by grace. God's promises to Jacob are based in grace. God's promises to you, they're based in grace. God's promises to Jacob are not based in Jacob's behavior. God's promises to you are not based in your behavior. They're not. They're not. God's promises are anchored in God's grace. And so God not only reminds Jacob here of his grace, of his promise-keeping grace, but he actually acts on his promise twice in this story. First in verse 5, God continues to protect Jacob. Verse 5 says, And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue Jacob's sons. Remember last week, Isaac's concern was, I'm in, Jacob's concern was, I'm in deep trouble because all these towns are going to get revenge and I have no way to protect us. And so what does God do? He keeps his promise. He keeps his promise and he protects Jacob. And then in the very last sentence of chapter 20, uh, verse 29, look at verse 29. Look at the very last sentence in verse 29. How is God keeping a promise there? Look at it. What does it say and how is that, how is that keeping a promise? Who's Jacob with? Esau. And what just happened? A few verses before that, what happens? Don't go back that far. Who just, who just died? Who died? His father. His father. So what does that mean for Jacob and Esau's relationship? 
They, they must be reconciled. Otherwise, Jacob, if, if uh, man, names, Isaac dies, there's nothing now stopping Esau from getting revenge, is there? I mean, don't you read that over and over again? Hot's wait till dad dies, and then you're dead meat. I mean, that's what Esau is waiting for, we think. That's what the reader thinks. We're supposed to read it and go, oh, no, dad's dead. And Esau and Jacob are together. It's game on. But what is God doing? Once again, God's protecting Jacob. God's keeping his promise to Jacob. Even when this situation arises, which is ripe for revenge, God continues to protect Jacob. So I think renewal is about believing and rejoicing in God's promises. I think it is. I think it's about recounting God's promises. A few weeks ago, we were, I think it was chapter 32 or 33, where I said, please, all of you, have a promise from God that you feed your soul with when you need help. So I'm just going to repeat it again. Maybe I'll stand at the door this morning. As you're leaving, I'm going to say, tell me what your promise is. You dare me to do that? Some of you are laughing like you don't think I'll do it. I won't do that to you. But I want to encourage you that way. Have promises of God buried deep in your heart, and they will bring renewal to your soul. Reminding yourselves of things that God has promised to you will change your heart. It will soften your heart heart. Number five, renewal is about God changing man's identity. It is about God changing man's identity. In verse 10, God officially changes Jacob's name to Israel, right? He officially changes his name there. And I want you to look at what God says. It's, it's almost funny a little bit, depending on how you read it, Here's what it says, verse 10. And God said to him, so it's picture, the, picture the interaction. God is standing some, in some way before Jacob. God says to Jacob, uh, your name's Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And then God says to Jacob, oh, and by the way, my name is God Almighty. It's almost like this weird interaction of, you know, Jim, your name was Jim. I'm going to call you Bob for now on. Bob's your name, and I'm God Almighty. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you what your name is, and then I'm going to let you know what my name is, and just make sure we got the ranking right, you'll know who I am, and that I have the authority to change your name. And why that is such good news for Jacob is because his name literally means, when you look back at his birth, heel grabber, which means he was known as a dude who went around just tripping people up to get things from them. He's the liar, the trickster. I'm going to trip you up and get what you want. That's his identity. And now his name is Israel, which means God strives or God prevails. God is on his side. God is striving now for Jacob. So he goes from being the heel grabber to the one who God is on his side. God is for him. I mean, this is more than just a name change. This is an identity change for our friend Jacob, who is now Israel, new name, new identity, new way to think about his life. And listen, we know that in the, in the gospel, we have a new identity, don't we? Look, you need to be spiritually renewed. You need spiritual renewal. Think 
about your new identity. Think about what your old identity was and what your new identity is. See, the problem is some of us have loved Jesus for too long that these things don't grip our hearts. (laughs) We don't remember. I was a sinner and now I am a saint. I was lost and hopeless, and now I am found and full of eternal hope. I was an orphan, and now I am a child of God. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was unrighteous, and now I am righteous. I was an enemy, and now I'm a friend. Remind yourself of who God says you are, and see how that impacts your heart for God. And meditate on it. And think about it. And speak it back to God as a way of getting your soul renewed. Remember and believe what God says about you. Fresh illustration popped in my head. So last night we were giving out hot chocolate with people. And I engaged with this gentleman for a couple of minutes. And my immediate thought was, this dude is so humble. You ever meet somebody and like this drip with humility? This guy was so gentle and kind and humble. And, I, and the thought came into my head very, very vividly of, man, God must really love this guy, and I'm nothing like him. That's what I thought. I thought, I am proud and I'm arrogant. And this guy is such a picture, just in this little conversation of humble, gentle, kind. And then I thought, God definitely loves him more than me. And that's, that's what popped in my head. And I caught myself thinking, and I thought, does God love him more than me? And I had to wrestle. I mean, I had to do some truth gymnastics in my own soul to not only get my brain to think what's true, but then to get my soul to actually believe what's true. That God's love for me is not based on my humility. God's love for me is based in God's love for me. It's based in God, not in my performance or how good I am. I had to remember my new identity of who I am in Christ. And I would bet that we all at different times need to be renewed in our thinking in a way that puts things in reality. Reality to what's true about who you are and how God sees you. We need that. You need that. I need that. And sometimes we need to remind each other of those things. Lest we forget and find ourselves Wandering or drifting or hard-hearted. Sixth thing, last thing here. I see in this passage about renewal for Jacob. And that is renewal is about Jacob's heart response. Jacob does respond. The other five points are all about God, in case you didn't notice. (laughs) God is doing it all. I mean, God is on the move. God is speaking. God's protecting. God's showing up. God's pursuing. And then we get to this point where Jacob does respond. There's a point where we must respond to what God is doing if we're going to experience the renewal in our hearts that God wants us to experience. So I see this in Jacob's response in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. There's a couple of phrases here that catch my attention. I'll just read the whole verse to you. So Jacob said to his household... And to all who are with him, this is verse 2, what does he say to them? Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. So three little phrases he says here. Put away foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your garments. So put away, purify, change. 
What did God tell Jacob to do? Did God tell Jacob to do any of those three things? No. No. God said two things. Go to Bethel, set up an altar. How does Jacob respond? He gets his whole family together and all his friends. And he says, what we're going to do. We're going to put away gods that are foreign. We're going to purify our hearts. And we're going to change our garments. He actually does more than what God asked him to do. He responded to God's initiative. It seems like this brief encounter that he has with God opens his heart to his sin. He sees his sin and he's ready and willing to want to repent of his sin. I mean, this so reminds me of Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119, verse 32. The psalmist says, I will run. I will run in the way of your commandments. But it's all dependent on, you've got to enlarge my heart. And I can't help but think, but Jacob, through this interaction with God, God enlarges his heart. And what does Jacob do? Uh, He's running. Jacob runs to do more than God even asked him to do. Jacob saw the sin and saw his need to be renewed. And he said, this renewal is going to require some putting away, some purifying, and some changing. And so he's quick to do that and to lead others in the same thing. He's going to put away, literally remove, it could be say rebel against the foreign gods. The, the gods that were residing in his home. Remember, was it Rachel or Rebecca? Help me. Who, who stuck the god? Rachel, thank you. And so like that God is probably still there. And then they collected more. So we're gonna, anything that's foreign, doesn't belong, that's a god, we're getting rid of it. We're rebelling against it. We're going to purify ourselves. We need to be pure. And then we're going to change our garments as a symbol of what we want God to do on the inside for us. I think there could be application for us in this in some ways. I think the key, though, is to know the difference between sanctification and justification. I heard one application of the story where it was change your garments, therefore this is why we should all dress nice when we gather with God's people on Sunday. And I, is that the application? Hmm, I don't think so. I think there's something here about our justification and our sanctification that God wants us to see. And he wants us to learn as we look at what Jacob wants his people to do. He wants them to be purified and to have changed garments Does that sound like anything we know about? Let me illustrate. (laughs) I am not going to go through this in length, but I do want to use it to help us understand the difference between justification and sanctification because it is important for us to understand the difference between justification and sanctification. If you don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification, you will end up in a very sad relationship with God. If you get them mixed up. So don't get them mixed up. Make sure I got the right people. Got the right people. Do I? Yeah, I do. Okay. Don't want to get that backward. Okay, so, so back to the text. I want to get the wording right. It talks about purify yourselves, change your garments. 
Purify yourselves, change your garment. So purify yourself. That means get rid of all the things in your life that don't belong. So I can't do that very well. Maybe you can. I can't. I don't think people can. So purify yourself means Jesus takes all of our impurity and he puts it on himself. He says, there, if you're pure now, Jesus, when he goes to the cross and dies, he bears all of your impurity. He takes it on himself. Everything that makes you not pure, not clean, he takes. So you are now pure and you are clean. And then what's the next part that Jacob does? Change your garment. So this dude's naked. Don't look. Change your garments. He doesn't have anything good morally before God. He got rid of the bad, but he's still really naked spiritually. He doesn't have the good. God requires perfection. All the put-ons, he's supposed to have them. We're supposed to have them. All the put-offs, we shouldn't have those. We need to be righteous before God, not just cleansed. And so Jacob says we need to be, what do you say? How does he word it? Change your garments. Take off these garments. And what Jacob doesn't know that he's going to get in the future from Jesus is all of Jesus' perfection. He's going to be clothed in righteousness. He's going to be clean and clothed the way that God requires you to be before you can get into his presence. And so what's happening here in Genesis 35 is a little glimpse, a little picture, a little opening to this. Jacob, God puts in Jacob's heart, as he enlarges Jacob's heart, as he's renewing Jacob, he says, Jacob, these are the things that you need. These are the things that you're going to need to do. And Jacob responds, somehow internally, he knows something's got to go. The old has got to go. The new has to come. I've got to be clean. I need new clothes. He recognizes it. He doesn't have the answer. We've got the answer. We've got the answer. And so when we talk about our justification, our sanctification in this story, we read, put away foreign gods. And I think that's our sanctification. Let me put it this way. I want my sanctification to match my justification. I want my living every day to look like who I already am in Christ. I'm already clean and clothed. And so I want my life to look like someone who lives clean and clothed. I want to put away the foreign gods that are gripping my heart. Do you know what those are? Well, right now, the Spirit of God has taken up residency in my soul. So anything that is foreign to the Spirit is a foreign god. It's a god that doesn't belong. Now that doesn't impact my justification. I am justified before God because I have been clothed, I've been clean, forgiven, and I'm clothed. That's justification. Clean, forgiven, and clothed. Two parts. That fuels my sanctification. I mean, the gospel gives us power for renewal for our sanctification. The only power and motive you will have to want to put away your foreign gods is when you're living, believing, loving, treasuring what Jesus has done for us here. 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't mix them up. Don't mix your justification. Don't mix it with your sanctification. So you got a sneak preview of the next verse. This verse helps me because it explains what's happening in my life and even in Jacob's life to some degree. It says this, For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time. That's this. That's your justification. You're already perfect. And who is he doing that for? Who, who has he already made perfect? Those who are being sanctified. So you are sanctified. You're holy. You're clean. But every day as you live on earth, you're becoming more sanctified. More into the image of Christ. More putting to death the foreign gods that can so easily creep into our lives. So I think there's application here for us to consider our foreign gods. Are there things in your life that are gripping your heart more than God? I think if we want to be renewed, if you want to be renewed, we've got to recognize, here are the things I really love. And at times I love them more than God. Here are the things that I want to give all my extra time to when I can in a way that probably is time-consuming in a way that's not really like it should be, and you recognize that. I mean, there can be so many different reasons why we find ourselves in a place to need to be renewed. And only you know, only you know the area of your life that might need to be buried under a tree so that you can find spiritual renewal. I mean, after all, that's what Jacob did, right? He took the gods and he buried them under a tree. He hid them there and put them away. And only you know what that thing might be. It might be something very obvious. It might be something that's even kind of good, but it's just too much. And you know it is. Listen, part of spiritual renewal is responding to God and being willing to say, this has been too important. This has been too much. This has been too time-consuming. This has gripped me in a way that God's not gripping me, and that's not good. This is what we call repentance, right? Turning from those things that we know are hindering us from finding the soul-satisfying joy that we can find in God and then turning from those things. And so let your justification fuel your desire for your sanctification. Let the reality of what Jesus has already done for you empower you to see how tricky your sin can be into thinking, tricking us really into thinking that something else is going to ultimately satisfy our souls when only God can. So there's six of them. What I would love for you to do this week is to look at one each day. Maybe with the sixth one always hovering in the back of your head a little bit for application, but the other five, to, to work your way through those five, six. Take one each day. Maybe you, can, maybe you already know this one. You look at the list, you go, oh, no, this is the one I need. I know I need this one. Then camp out on that one. When you guys meet in your groups of three, share which one or which two. 
Share with each other where there's a foreign God that just needs to go. But take some time this week to do that. I think spiritual renewal is very, very possible. Even if you find yourself in a dark place. I don't think it's a mystery. None of this is new. But they're all just ingredients to how God can work in our hearts. We're going to remind ourselves this morning of our justification again by taking the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to remember and proclaim. That's what it says in Corinthians. Remember and proclaim. When you take the Lord's Supper, remember and proclaim. Remember his death and proclaim it to each other. Remember and proclaim it. Remember and proclaim it. It's not about you cleaning yourself up. It's not about you trying to confess all your sins right now really fast so you can go take the Lord's Supper. Good luck with that one. This is about you remembering, reminding your soul and each other that Jesus is your justification. And then to proclaim it to your soul. Remember it and to proclaim it. So we are going to, the band's going to just play for a couple minutes. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. There's two stations in the front. You can get bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. There's one station in the back that's gluten-free. So if you need gluten-free, you can go to the back. Otherwise, you can come to the front. Um, what I'm going to ask is we'll stand while the band plays. You guys go ahead and just get in line and get the cup. And come back to your seat and then we'll partake together um, after, this, after we sing a song together. So let's stand. Let's go ahead and get the wine and the juice and then we'll sing. <laughs>